I want you to leap up and start yelling and clapping and whistling, see? <laughs> kind of start a big spontaneous demonstration. <laughs> well, uh, haven't they got a phonograph record of crowds cheering they could play? Oh, no, that wouldn't be ethical. This has got to be spontaneous. Like you starting it and then... Maybe four or five guys I could hire at a buck apiece joining in. Ron and Anian. You know, it's amazing how much effort people will go through to hide something and do it wrong. The car doctor. The scary part is that sooner or later that kid will get tired of working at the radio installer place and he'll graduate and go work in a repair shop somewhere because I'm a technician. Yeah, you're a technician, all right. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, Rose, where we're going, we don't need Rose. Here's Ronnie. Old Water Town. Nothing much happening down on Maine. Hey, welcome, Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor. It's time to start your engines and everybody up in Watertown, WATN 1240, up there in North Country. We welcome you with us here in the garage today as we kick open the garage doors and welcome WATN AM 1240 to the growing list of affiliates at the Car Doctor Nation here as we march across this country and uh, keep trying to fix all these broken cars for you. And, um, you know, like patting across Europe, we're, uh, we're doing our best to keep things going and uh, um, just help you keep fixing cars. 855-560-9900 is the phone number. Cardoctorshow.com, more information if you want it. There's also podcasts there as well as the usual sources of iHeart, iTunes. Tune in. You can uh, click subscribe from a variety of places, and we appreciate it if you are going to podcast us. If you would click subscribe, it uh, helps our numbers and helps uh, helps our sponsors. They uh, they like to see numbers to know that we're actually talking to people, um, which obviously we do on a daily basis because I do take email also, ron at cardoctorshow.com. If you've got a car question, you've got a car problem, um, yep, I'll stop what I'm doing. Listen, I'll stop what I'm doing sometimes in the middle of the day at the shop, and I don't get a chance to do it a lot often because we're kind of busy in the shop. And um, I will actually pick up the phone and call somebody if I think it's a desperate situation. And I'm not looking for desperate situations. <laughs> Lord knows I've got enough of them. But uh, just to let you know that we're here for you and uh, here to help you solve your problem, 855-560-9900, which, by the way, is toll-free 24-7. You can call and uh, leave a message if we're not here on the air. We're live Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. And if you are podcasting or in another part of the country on a different affiliate or taking it on the stream or wherever you're taking us, and, um, you know, you can call during those hours uh, at 855-560-9900, and we'll, we'll talk to you live on air and see what's going on. Um, coming up this hour or next hour, I'm not, I'm not sure where we're going to get it in, but we've got a great article on flying cars. You know, we, we went to Ernie's last night for ice cream. If you're ever in Mawa, New Jersey, go to Ernie's on Franklin Turnpike, best soft serve ice cream in the, in the county probably, if not the country. And I can't say I've been to every soft serve elsewhere, but going to Ernie's for years. It's great. And we were there, family, and we're talking about, you know, I'm the old guy now, and I'm talking to my kids and the boyfriends, and, you know, what careers should we get into? And and one of them said, hey, I want to be a mechanic. What do you think? And I said, well, it's going to be different. It's going to be very different. And he said, how so? And I said, John, I said, you know, it, it's not just electric and hybrids. It's, it's, it's you know, self-driving cars. It's going to be flying cars. And in my wildest imagination, you know, here we are. Here's an article that's for real. 
that a that Uber is going to try and launch flying cars. They're promising flying cars. Of course, with all the finesse of our president, that it's really going to happen. But you know, in Dallas by 2020. So you you can, you know, here come the Jetsons, right? It's you know, and who's going to fix it? And what's going to be the quality of those repairs? And you know, one thing I've learned about the difference between well, I'll put it to you this way: when I was a kid. Before my father passed, and my father passed very young, and you guys know that. We've, you've heard the story of my life at this point, if you're a regular, in that dad always said, you have to make sure of what you're doing and always be certain. He goes, remember this. When you're on the ground, it's okay to get out on the side of the road and adjust the carburetor. Of course, this, you know, carburetors is 1964. Uh, you know, never could he, I think, envision what cars would become. But he said, when you're, when you're at 30,000 feet, there's no cloud to get out and park on while you're trying to adjust that that whatever and i never forgot that because he was an airline mechanic during the war and we always used to talk about that as a kid so um, what will flying cars do to us and our reliability tell you what it's going to have to make fixing cars absolutely perfect there's we're going to be we're i mean we have to be perfect now you know and that's I've, i've had this argument with people for the longest time where i've said if somebody wants to come in and you know get a car fixed Baseball players, three out of ten times, you've heard, the, you've heard the deal, right? Three out of ten times, they strike out, you guys still go back and see them. How many people went to watch the Mets this week, uh, right? And I'm not picking on the Mets. I'm just saying they're in the hole right now. How many people went to see the Mets this week, and they'll go next week and just watch them continue to lose to see if they climb out of losing? Trust me, if I don't fix your car, whether it's here or at the shop, you're not coming back. There's no, there's no three out of ten hitter in baseball in auto repair, you got to be ten out of ten. You got to be eleven out of ten, if that's possible. When it comes to flying cars, you're going to have to be twelve out of ten, or there's a real problem. So it's going to be interesting. But I am here to do what I like to do best. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Let's kick the garage doors open and talk to Ben in Michigan, ninety six GMC Suburban and a stuck gas gauge. Benjamin, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Thank you, Ron. Yes, Thank sir. You. I appreciate it. Yeah. I, I bought this Suburban new in nineteen ninety six. But uh, I filled it up with gas here about a month ago, 42-gallon tank, you know. <clears throat> and uh, Singular, singular tank? Excuse me, Ben. Single tank or a dual yeah. tank? Single tank. Okay. Single tank. Uh, okay. I stuck, I, uh, <clears throat> it's stuck on uh, way past full. It usually goes 75 miles before it goes back to full on it. But uh, I, um, I had 258 miles on it, and it still didn't go. It was trying to go back to full. Well, it finally went back to full. Well, to make a long story short, here's what happened. Uh, I took it down to a reputable dealer in Lansing, and they put the uh, new fuel, ga- uh, fuel pump in it and sensor. It was a Spectra at that time. That That's a brand name. And then I just drove off, figuring everything was all right, and uh, I got home, and the thing was doing the same thing, the gas gauge. So I drove another week, and I went back at 300 and some miles, Took it back and they put a uh, Delphi uh, HP 1003, which is supposed to be for a 42-gallon tank. It's a different fuel pumping sensor. <clears throat> now the thing, <laughs> now the thing goes a half a tank, quarter of a tank. So I siphoned all the gas out of it when I got home here. Siphoned it, bare. I siphoned six gallons out till it was I blew on it and it was bare. Uh, you, you could tell there wasn't hardly anything in it. Right. And the thing registered a half a tank yet. So this is where I stand now. I okay. don't know. So, so. Does first, it make any sense? Well, here, first first things first. All right. We got to have the right parts, obviously. 
So somehow, yeah. and Spectra is, in my opinion, a lower level quality of automotive aftermarket component. Uh, you know, right. it's unfortunately it's what we're faced with. It's it's not quite the McDonald's of cheeseburgers, but it's close. All right. Uh, so right. you know, in in my mind, there's the steakhouse, the diner. There's probably a few in between, and then you get to McDonald's, and then you get to uh, the guy with the cart on the corner in New York City. So it's not quite McDonald's, but it's close to that. All right. So, you know, the fact that they changed one part out for another and it changed something, you know, it sounds to me like now they're throwing parts at it and we don't even know what part is right and what part is wrong. Let's be scientific about this. All right. So okay. first, first things first. Let's find it. Let's find a catalog for Delphi, whether we do it online or whether we go back to these guys and say, hey, here's the dilemma. How are you going to handle this? All right. And verify the part accuracy. That's number one. Is it the right part? Number two. Okay, excuse me. Go ahead. Go ahead. I did go. I did call a Chevrolet dealer and that's what the Delphi part number is was supposed to be. Okay. so then number two, take that take that unit out of the tank. And do a sweep test. Does that pump sweep zero to ninety ohms? Oh, well, yeah. I'm, I'm going to take it back and let them do it. Yeah. Right. Because well, here's here's the deal. Here's how that works. All right. When when the gas tank is empty, the float's going to yeah. be all the way at the bottom. If they measure resistance right. across, all that thing is is a variable resistor. All right. Mm-hmm. If if they measure resistance across the sender. They're going to see zero ohms at empty, somewhere around 45 ohms at the halfway mark, and 90 ohms at full. Okay. All right, and that's pretty much the way GM fuel senders have been, oh, I don't know, 1962, I think. I think in 55 they were different. 55 was was a smaller resistance value. But bottom line, there is a way to test that sender and see if it's any good. By the same token... Okay, if you want to test the circuit going back to the gauge, they can find yeah, the signal line they can find the signal line back to the gauge if they are equipped with it. I've got two in the shop and I'm not saying that as a point of contention, but I do have the ability it's just a variable resistor. And you can wire in that variable resistor, put 45 ohms on it, 45 ohms up to the gauge, it should read half on the on the instrument cluster. All right? If it if it does not and, you know, obviously 0 and 90, and you can do a sweep test of the gauge. And if it does not, right. then, then the problem is going that way, not this way. And it's as simple as that, really. It's not It's not all that complicated. There, there, excuse me. There isn't any adjustment on that sweep, is it? That nope. thing that I looked at one, you know, at, at the uh, Napa store, but I wanted to see what it looked like. But that sweep, you can't adjust it or bend it, can you? Well, you know, if if you want to bend the float to sit a little bit closer to bottom, you know, I mean, we're talking, we're talking. It's going to vary three or four ohms, Ben. You're not off by three oh. or four ohms. You're off by, you're you're out in left field. All right, you're off by quite a bit right. from what you're describing to me. So that's not that's not something's bent. Trust me, they don't they don't sell these with the intention that it's you know self adjustment or uh, you know tuned to fit. All right, Pina relief. As GM used to say in the old service manuals, yeah, that's possible. You know, it's that's that's not impossible, but you know. Yeah, Ron, I'm a retired electrician, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Right. You know, you're gonna you're but gonna why, tweak why it a little bit. If, 
But why wouldn't I, if I took it in there and said the gas gauge don't work, why wouldn't they have checked the electrical out, like you're saying? Why wouldn't they do a sweep first before they put a new fuel? Uh, <laughs> you would think. I'm sure that. I, ben, yeah, you would think. I, You know, Ben, it's, it's believe me, I, and I don't know how everybody else does it. I said this to Susie this morning. We were having breakfast, and I said, you know, I'm not sure if I'm insane or everybody else is just, just, just they've lost it. Because we were talking about things like this. You know, it's like it's the most basic thing. The gas gauge doesn't work. Okay, let's test the circuit. No, let's throw parts at it. What are you, an idiot? Uh, you know, I don't get it. It's, it's, you yeah, know. That was $500, too. Yeah, you know. it's, it's a $500 guess. <laughs> Listen, I've got yeah. a 99 GMC dually pickup truck diesel right now that's got intermittent no start dies out on the road. I haven't seen it do it yet. I'm still in the process of diagnosing it. The customer wants me to throw parts at it. Best guess I have is it's a $3,200 fuel pump assembly. I'm not making that guess until I can prove it because you got to diagnose. <laughs> no. So, Ben, i got to no. go. The clock's going to take me. You, well, go get, you get them to sweep listen. test that and check it. Yes, sir, real quick. Thank you very much. You're I very welcome, it. sir. You're very welcome. You call me back. Let me know what happens, Benjamin. All right? I will. You, I will. You take Thank good, you. You take Bye. good care. 855-560-9900. The car doctor's cruising back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the the car doctor, 855-560-9900. Rolling along this hour. Here to take your calls and here to talk to you about your car problem, whatever it might be. Um, quick piece of email. Hey, Ron, um, this is Maury again. I really don't want to go on air. Um, we got to get Maury on air. Maury is microphone shy, I think, but I have a really important question. I have to buy new tires for my wife's car. I don't know how to choose good tires and how much money to spend. Uh, I know it's, I just, I don't know what's important about tires. She has a 2013 Honda Civic four door and I have to buy tires this coming Monday. The study, the, the, the current tires must come off and I have no idea what's a good tire, what's a bad tire for you. I want to talk about that. I'll be listening today and that's all you can do. Email or call me back. Maury. Um, you know what, Maury? Tell you what, Maury, sit tight. Let me take this call. I'll do this after this call. All right. Let's go over and talk to uh, Chris in Massapequa. Chris in Massapequa on line two. Are you there? Chris? Chris in Massapequa, line two. Um, yeah, hang on one second, Hello? folks. There we go. Yeah, Chris. Now, you know what it is? Let me let me tell you about the technical things we got going on here today. All right. So uh we're down to Tom Ray is running the board, answering the phone, and mom's visiting in the studio today. So we've got an awful lot going on. Um, so I kind of I'll be sweeping Tom. the floor later on. Right. So, hey. He's you know Tony's Tony's off today. Tony is down in uh, Atlanta, I think, visiting his mom's. No, no, I think it's Houston. Is it Houston? He, he's in Houston visiting his mom for her birthday, and I yeah. told him to give her a great present. Yeah. Don't show up. Yeah. Well, we tried that, <laughs> but unfortunately, he made it. So anyway, Chris, how can I help you, sir? Ron and Andy in the car doctor at your at your at your service. Hey, Ron, how you doing? Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Uh, so I have a 2010 uh, Subaru Forester with about 40,000 miles, okay. and uh, about a month ago uh, it was at a light and the car uh, shuddered, you know, it shook, and then a uh, check engine light came on with a couple of other dashboard lights. So okay. I took it to my mechanic, and, uh, you know, he checked some things. He couldn't, he couldn't get a reading off, off of the code, so he cleared the codes and he gave it back to me. Uh, since then, it stalled. The car stalled uh, twice while sitting parked, and then uh, it happened again. Uh, this time, my wife was driving it. She was making a, a, a low-speed turn, and it stalled while it was driving. So I took the car to my Subaru dealer, 
Right. And uh, they, did, they did a software update, and then uh, they said, you're all set. I picked up the car. The very next day, the car stalled again while uh, we were at a uh, red light. Okay. So I took the car back to Subaru the next day, and they held it for two weeks. They could not repeat the problem. They drove it for over 100 miles. They uh, did all kinds of tests, whatever. They cannot repeat the problem, and they don't know what to tell me. So they recommended a tune-up, and I talked to my mechanic, and he says, I already put plugs in. Yeah, it's not spark whatnot. plugs. Tr- so, tr- trust me, Chris, it's, yeah. not, it's not spark plugs. We're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're poking and hoping. So let me, right. let, me, let me ask you this. When it stalled, um, or when you took it into Subaru, between your Subaru and your, your mechanic, has anybody said anything about basic throttle body cleanliness? Um, the only thing I could tell you is that I did some research online, and my mechanic said he did do a idle, an idle relearn. Okay. But, but that's that's all that they spoke okay, about. Okay, so... I, I mean, to be honest with you, the dealer was more interested in giving me other things to uh, right. spend money on. So let's let's cover the basis. And I'm not saying this will, this will fix it, but at least, you know, sometimes you have to fix what you can't find by repairing what you know it needs. All right? Right. So look at the front door of your house. You got a front door in your house? Yes. Right. Well, most people do. When you when, <laughs> when 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 the door is closed, it's closed, right? And just like the throttle plate on the engine, when it's closed, it's closed. But on a throttle plate, unlike your front door, there's got to be a little bit of an air leak around it. There's got to be a way for there's a minimum idle airflow setting. In other words, there's it's not just going to be an idle air control motor as a helper for a vacuum leak for an air leak to increase idle speed. There's got to be a base idle airflow. Okay. And if you look at the front door of your house, if you take the front door of your house and crack it open just enough to let a little bit of light through, that's about what a throttle, that's about what a typical throttle plate uses. Okay, it needs that little bit of airflow for a base idle setting. The computer can't do it all. I don't care how technical or advanced it is. Over time, that throttle plate builds up a carbon ridge. All right. So the computer will always compensate and try and adjust for a dirty throttle plate, but sooner or later it reaches its electronic limit, if you will, and it gets okay. to a point where it just it just can't go anymore. All right? So let's do a throttle body cleaning and uh, start from there. Um, I'll tell you what. Sit tight. Welcome back. We're on the the car, Dr. Chris. Are you still there, sir, Massapequa, Long Island? Chris? Christopher. Yes. yes, sir. Okay, so dirty throttle yes. body is a possibility. The second thought I've got, and this is, you know, I'm trying to take you outside the realm of, because I could sit here and talk about intermittents and crank sensors and weird things that cause cars to shut off, but I don't like to go there unless I've got a reason, because I, I kind of think that's obvious as a technician. I would hope most guys have that in the back of their head, but I'm trying to look for the common things. So dirty, right. thr- dirty throttle body is one. The other is sort of one from left field. Get your hands on Subaru Bulletin 16-90-13. All right? And what that talks about is I assume this is an automatic trans? Yes. All right. What that talks about is there was a problem with various versions of the automatic trans since model year 2010 on that they had torque converter issues where the torque converter clutch wasn't releasing and the vehicle would go into a stall condition. And I don't know... I I read about that online. Right. I don't know that that exactly matches your criteria in the way that you're describing it to me, but 
I would like to see somebody at least investigate it. If I'm not mistaken, there's a way to disable the torque converter clutch solenoid so it won't go into lockup, at least to let you drive it. You might see a check engine light, but you should be able to drive it. And, you know, if the problem goes away for a couple of weeks or a day or two days or whatever the frequency of when it normally happens, then guess what? Uh, you know, you're on to something. So, but yeah, spark plugs, don't, spark plugs and air filters no longer make a car stall. They don't have that ability. So, um, you know, I would think more along the lines of a dirty throttle body, an idle relearn, uh, something strange, you know, by way of the transmission, a torque converter clutch hanging on. And then we'll have the conversation about intermittence, uh, you know, a bad crank sensor, uh, you know, a, a weak connection, you know, a, a relay problem, something like that. But, boy, I don't want to go down that dark road unless I absolutely have to. Okay, last question. So, yeah. you know, my mechanic who I trust, and, you know, he didn't even charge me to do what he did, um, but he's he says I, it's beyond me, I can't help you, you know, because he doesn't have a guy that can just spend all day on my car and not right. be able to charge me anything. And as I said, the dealer really just wants things in and out. They don't want to spend time on it either. And I called Subaru of America, and they really weren't any help either. What do I do in a situation like this where they're saying unless we can drive the car with the computer connected to it and re, re um, you know establish uh, the, problem. the problem establish right. the problem there's nothing we can do so I'm left with a car that if it's already stalled while I'm driving who's to say it's not going to stall when I'm trying to get onto a, a right. highway ramp well and I and and I think that problem goes back to Subaru of America and say hey listen guys I had enough faith in your product to buy it. Now, now you've got a dealer that can't fix it. Can you recommend who's your top, quote-unquote, five-star dealer? Um, which I don't know if five-star ratings really mean anything, but I, you know, sometimes I think it's who they had a couple of cocktails with and they got them to sign the agreement that says, hey, you're better than the rest, and they're really not. But, uh, you know, just, just, just off the top of my head speaking, um, I would tell you you've got to find a better Subaru dealer. And they're out there, and there are some that take this real serious. There are some that are real good at this. Uh, you know, I've always said not to get on the soapbox, and I promise I won't for longer than 30 seconds, but there's good dealers, there's bad dealers, there's there's good mechanics, there's bad mechanics, there's guys that take this serious because guys like me, I think I'm, I think I'm a pretty good mechanic, I, I take this serious, I know that if I don't fix that car right, you're pulling out onto the highway and that car stalls, you're dead. If the 18 wheeler right. catches up to you and you know, it's, right. it's, it's, I've got to fix your brakes. Like my wife and kids were in the car and you know, that's, that's, that's important. So I would try to stay with a Subaru dealer on this one because I have a suspicion you're going to find this to become something, I won't say a manufacturing defect, but you're going to find this to be something of a common manufacturing flaw. I'll say it that way. If that right. makes sense. Uh, you know, I, I think the first super dealer that's trying to sell you spark plugs should be spanked. Uh, you know, you got to find somebody that's serious about it that really wants to fix the car, and that's the bottom line. Okay, either either right. that or tell them, hey, I'm going to get rid of it and go buy a Ford. Uh, you know, it's I'm done with Subaru. And tell them just like that, you lost the customer. Let's see how they respond. Usually that gets somebody's attention. All right? Terrific. Thanks for your time. You're welcome, yep. Chris. Chris, will you call me back and let me know All what right. happens, how you fix this? <laughs> I will. I'm, I'm, Thank you very I'm much. always curious. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Let's uh, let's go over and talk to Bob in Atlanta, 98 Corvette. Robert, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Um, yeah, I got a 98 uh, Corvette. It's not really a car specific uh, problem. Um, he got bumped out of the garage because we got a new car, 
and this winter I started with the, uh, you know, make sure he's warmed up properly before I leave um, as a daily driver. And it struck me that I've usually been looking at my uh, coolant level to say, oh, yeah, I'm ready to go. And I'm just trying to figure, shouldn't I be worried about the crankcase? Isn't it going to be a slower to slower warm-up process? And just kind of getting the philosophy of what's it mean to be warm? Is it that critical? And, you know, well, do I need to look at the crankcase instead of the water? I think warming up. A, I think warming up a car, and it's a great question. It really is. I think warming up a car is predicated by where you live. If you ask me about warming up a car in North Jersey, I tell you fifteen minutes, uh, and I don't care what the environmentalists say. It's cold, all right, on a on a January day. It's um, you know, it it takes a while when the, when the snow clears off the windshield and you can safely see out all four windows in which direction you're going. You don't have that problem in Atlanta on a on a common basis, do you? What's you know what's average yeah, temperature? Yeah, I mean, I can, there? I can get twenty five and thirty. It's this is really a question from a couple of months ago. It's been eating at me, but uh, yeah, it can make, if it's below freezing, then I don't right. want to just tear out of there. So. Right. I mean, you know what? I think I think two to four minutes in the driveway, let the cool, let the mm-hmm. let let the gauge come up off the mark. You know, let it let it get into yeah. that first eighth position, and then you know, as much as warming up the engine and the trans at that stage. The first four or five minutes, I would put my foot through the headlight because I'm going to warm up the rear axle, let the tires get a little sticky, let the vehicle kind of, you know, you, it's a Corvette, man. It's got to settle on its wings. It's got to feel where it's going, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I think you're good, I'm good there. I'm, I'm like a mile and a half from the highway, so I can take three or four minutes to kind of loosen the things up once I start right. moving. So that's that's right. not bad. Yeah, yeah that's you know, good. and obviously, obviously I'm going to, you know, to just remind you, good quality oil, good quality filters and all that stuff really becomes critical. On a car sitting outside, is just as much as the car inside. So you want to make sure you're, you know, you're doing the right stuff and maintenance and um, things like yeah. that. But uh, I, I usually try and get it off the mark. I usually get maybe a hundred, hundred degrees something yeah. like that. Yeah, hundred, hundred, hundred and twenty. You know, you're, yeah. you know, you're about where you want to be, and then bang, zoom off you go. All yeah, right, sir. Perfect. So yeah, have a good spring. Yes, sir. You too. Enjoy cruising. So you take good care. Yes, sir. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy, the car doctor. We're going to pull over and take a pause and be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy, the car doctor. Rolling along here at 855-560-9900. Maury, I have not forgotten our question about tires. We're going to have that date in a minute. First, let's get over and talk to Jeff in Idaho with a 2013 F-150 and some questions. Jeffrey. Welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, my son bought this truck used a year ago. It's got okay. 60,000 miles on it. What? F-150, 4x4 EcoBoost. What, what engine's in this, Jeff? The uh... Uh, It's the V6 twin turbo. Right, the 3.5. Okay. Yep. And he's lost two front drive lines in the last nine weeks. The first one was in snow. He stopped the truck, put it in, four, put it in neutral, put it in four high, moved about three feet, Bang, 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 bang underneath the front end. That one went bad. We replaced it here oh, a week ago, and Monday he was driving in town in two-wheel drive up, and same thing happened again. When, when you say so, when you say drive lines, Jeff, are are you talking about the front drive axle? Yes, the front drive axle that hooks to the front differential. Okay, it's about I don't know thirty-four inches long. So, so, so you're saying it's actually physically broken. The axle coming out of the center of the diff. What is Just it? where you mount it onto the differential, so it hasn't broken the shaft. Okay. So, so what's actually breaking then? It's disengaging or it's stripping the splines? It's stripping the splines. And yesterday, a driveline guy told me that the front differential is engaged in four-wheel drive. 
Uh, he's probably right, and then they then they couple it together. I'd have to look and see which one exactly that is. I don't keep that in my head. So it's it's you got it's, a lot in your head. Yeah, I got a lot in my head, brother. <laughs> let me tell you. So you know, this is this is this is a nuts and bolts thing. And All it right? does have a lift on it too. It has a lift kit, a four inch lift kit. Yeah, it's not. You know, yeah, it's the lift kit. Okay, next call. Um, you know, but that's yeah, you know, it's easy. It's easy enough to say. Now prove it. Uh, you know, I was always taught that you can say anything you want. The, the reason a car is bad, but you got to prove it. And um, if you can't prove it, then you're wrong. So you know, let's talk about this. So it's actually stripping the spline coming out of the side gear of the differential. Correct. So what is it you do? You slide the axle out, slide a new one in, and Away you go. That's what we did, but now it's out. I've, I've taken the thing. We took the whole thing out yesterday. Totally just took it out. Is it possible? So so let's say it like this. As that axle goes into the side gear of the diff, um, there has to be something on the hub end that keeps that axle centered or positioned in the differential side gear. Agreed? Yeah, I think there's two other gears, two other shafts. Because, you know, for it to... Let me ask you this. Where is it failing on the spline? Right on the tip? Yeah, right where that coupler connects to the shaft that comes out of the differential. Okay, so if it's failing right on the tip of the spline, right on the... You know, it's it's not it's not twisting it in the middle. You're saying it's it's kind of rounding it off within the first eighth of an inch of the end of the axle, right? Yes. So then what you're telling me is the axle's not far enough into the side gear. Right? So now we've got to figure out why isn't it far enough into the side gear. Either it's it, either it's it's not installed properly or it's missing parts. And I'm inclined to think it's missing parts just from my seat here, just thinking about yeah. it in my head. Right? Because it's – is it always the same side? Yes. Two uh, times in a row, same place. Left side. Right side, left side. I think it's right in the center where that shaft goes into the the transaxle. It has a, a shaft that comes right straight out. Okay. Because and goes back, so it's not the two side axles. It's the main thirty four inch shaft that comes straight out back. Okay. Underneath. So so why is it why is it there why is it and why is it always on the end of the spline? What's it missing? You know, the other question I've got is: Does the new one go further in? Okay. Is it the same length as the old one? Right. So you know it's you know think you know, it's it's just I don't care what it is it's a it's a, it's a rear end it's a differential with a with a solid steel axle in my mind and it's got splines on it 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 sounds like you're only going in the first eighth of an inch and it's just kind of catching there when in actuality it's got to be centered on the splines in the middle of the of, of that splined area so that, that that axle's got to go into the spline at least three quarters of an inch an inch right depending upon the size of the spline. Does that make yep. sense? Yep. So why doesn't it go in further? What's holding it or what's not holding it in a sense? Maybe it's too short. Maybe it's too short or or maybe it can float because maybe it's missing and, you know, it's the washer. It's the pocket screwdriver. But I mean maybe there's a, you know, maybe there's a shim or a washer missing on the other end or something on the other end of that shaft where it connects to that's not pushing it far enough into the spline or keeping Forward. it there. Okay. All right. Let's All right. let's let's look at that. So let's what I would probably do is get down to the Ford store or go out online, find a parts catalog and identify every piece. And if it's in the picture on on the catalog, it better be in that vehicle. 
Yeah, the Ford store here is just like it's the most frustrating thing I've ever seen. They're like, yeah, it's broken, but they don't seem to want to figure out, diagnose what the problem is. Right. So let's um let's just you like know, the Subaru guy. Yeah, right. Well, and listen, I'll tell you what. You can learn. You can fix a lot of cars by understanding the parts process. I'll tell you a quick okay. story. I had a I had a 2002 Jeep Wrangler this week that had a, a directional switch problem or a directional problem. All right. And everybody thrown a pile of parts at it. I put a directional switch connector in it because it came apart in seven pieces when I unplugged it. I figured, well, that's bad. And put that together. And when I did my testing, it needed a flasher. Put a flasher in it. Yeah, most guys would sit there and say, let's put a switch in it. I looked at the switch. The switch ended Chrysler part number AD. I know. Chrysler starts out their parts numbering system. The first part, first generation is AA, AB, AC, AD. That's a newer switch. That switch hasn't been replaced. That switch has been replaced. And I said to the girl, I said, drive the thing for a week. If it doesn't fail, you don't need to spend $200 on a directional switch. You're good to go. All it was was a flasher and a connector. So sometimes looking at parts can save okay. you money and help you fix the car. And, All right. and, and that's my point. Do that. Take a look at the parts picture. Call me back. Let me know what you find. Okay. Thanks right. for your help, Brian. You're very welcome, sir. Good luck. 855-560-9900. I've heard that number before. That's right. Car Doctor toll free. I'll be back right after this. Who's going to drive you home tonight? Hey, Ron and Andy, the Car Doctor, here to drive you home as we close out this hour. By the way, in the next hour, we're going to talk flying cars and a little bit about the shortage of mechanics. Hey, for Maury, and Maury, I appreciate you hanging on, man. It was a busy hour. You want to buy tires for your wife's 2013 Honda Civic LX? Here's the deal. Um, General Tire uh, makes a tire called the Ultimax RT43. Just put these on the Ranger, all right? Great tire. And here's why I picked them, all right? Because I had a choice of obviously everything, and I sell an awful lot of tires at the shop on a day-to-day basis. They've got some really neat technology built into the tire. I'm one of those guys, I like things to work for me that I don't necessarily know they're there. I just know it's working in the back of my head. They've got early warning alignment indicators built into these tires. It's these little patches of contact. It's a little contact patch built to tell the trained eye and even the novice like yourself, if when the guy sells you the tires, ask him to point them out, that when the tires, when the car needs an alignment, they'll wear funny. It's an early warning sign, though. Saves you the life of the tire. You know, you get the alignment done sooner rather than later. They've got something called peak anti-slip design technology what they're doing is they're they're actually putting more edges in the tire in the tra- in the tread traction area of the tire gives you better bite on slippery roads they've got low surface and i read all this lsa low surface abrasion technology that gives you better tread wear and extends the tread life and they've got a re- they've got the word replace cast right into the tire itself to tell you when it's time to replace as it wears so it's General Ultimax RT43. You'll find more at GeneralTire.com. Put a set of these on the Ranger. My little 97 Ranger with 200,000 miles on it rides 1,000% better. It's like driving a brand-new car, how nice these tires actually ride. Maury, buy a set of those. You won't be disappointed. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya. See ya.